the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. We are continuing on with a series covering um, the book entitled The Kingdom from Creation to the Millennium, uh, from a colleague of mine named Don Enavolson. And um, we covered pretty much the intro in the first two chapters in the uh, earlier sessions that we have had. And we're going to move on over to chapter 3, which is corresponds to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, in the first two shows, we learned about what man's purpose is, um, how we are to be the visible image of God, how we are to receive his likeness deposited into us and then reflect that and to represent that likeness. And um, as a product of that, we see man's dominion, but it's also uh, man was to have dominion over the earth to run the earth, and was given virtual complete authority to do so. So we are going to start with chapter 3. It's entitled The Knowledge of Good and Evil. And um, we're going to start off with a reminder that God did give man, mankind, dominion over his creation. But we now see a singular Limitation, one limitation. And um, God trusted man implicitly, as we see in the first two chapters of Genesis, to virtually run this place called Earth. Um, He had access to anything he needed, virtually anything he wanted. Um, And it was a commission in the sense, as we see in Genesis chapter 2, that man, Adam and Eve, aren't working for God, but they're actually working with God in running earth. And we see that with the multitude of animals that were created uh, by Father God. And he brings them over initially to Adam and to inquire of Adam, Adam, what do you want to call this particular creation that I just made? And Adam is naming the animals 
that God is creating out of the dust of the earth. And so very interesting to observe that that's how things were supposed to operate as uh, a commission, man working with God, and to be uh, God's expression um, in the earth to manifest God's nature, to manifest God's uh, character, who God was, a God of order, a God of life. Well, when we get to chapter 3, I call this the blow-up chapter because everything that started out great, um, as we see in the first two chapters as a blueprint, uh, basically blows up. So God does give man dominion over his creation in the first two chapters, but as we said, with only one limitation. God... Let me just read this to you real quick out of Genesis two sixteen and 17. And the Lord, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you do eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, that is the prohibition, if you will, a singular prohibition. And what happened was, God being God, he is the sovereign, he is the creator, he reserved to himself the right and the power to decide what is in man's best interest and what is not. In other words, what to call good and what to call evil. And when God designed Adam and Eve, he knew how everything worked in creation because he was the author of creation, inside and out, every detail every nuance. He knew how things were to operate. And as such, he also knew what would be harmful and what would not be harmful. What would produce painful consequences and what would produce beneficial consequences for man. And so what was forbidden to man by this restriction of do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was forbidden to man, in essence, with that restriction was the power to decide for himself what is in man's own best interests and what is not in man's own best interests. That's what was really being forbidden to man, was the power to decide for himself what is good for him and what is not. Now, unfortunately, we have this conversation going on between the serpent, which is the uh, 
embodiment of Satan, who, as we said last time, um, the fallen angels disagreed with God's blueprint plan in that they thought they should be the ones who were running to earth, not dust balls, if you will, people created out of the dust of the earth. And um, ever since the story of creation, um, the fallen kingdom has been of, of fallen angels have been trying to prove God wrong, that he made a mistake by putting man in charge of running the earth through his dominion and through his fruitfulness. Well, um, I'm going to read from the book here on page 19. Um, the author asks, at first glass, glance, it, this law seems to present a conundrum to man. The law said, do not eat from that tree. To eat would be wrong and would really constitute uh, engaging in evil. And he asked the question, were they engaging in evil if they really um, did not understand the difference at that point between good and evil until after they had done the evil act? Um, And the question he asks again is, was it really evil if they did not have yet an understanding of the essence of evil? But then he says, Don of Olson, the question ceases to be whether or not they did the action, but were they responsible for the outcome of the action? And when you start to look at the restriction that God imposed on man. Um, and you cut through all of the debates of whether man was aware, whether man had responsibility. God basically was reserving to himself the power and the right to decide what is in our best interest and what is not. And that is obviously, since he is the author of creation, um, that's something that no one should be surprised to f- learn that he's holding this in a special place of trust, of relational trust. In other words, to develop something between himself and his created children of a matter of dependence that we depend on God to weigh in. We trust God when he does weigh in with our questions in life. What should we do, Father? What should we think about this, Father? Is this a good time to speak on this, Father? In other words, we're coming to him and, and asking, leaning into him and depending on him with these sorts of relational trust issues. So what was forbidden to man is the power to decide for man himself what is in his best interests. And what is not. Now, when 
the serpent approaches Eve. Um, he is smart enough to begin the conversation with a question, and rather than making an accusation that um, against God's nature, against God's character, by coming out and saying what God told you isn't true. He doesn't say that. He just asks with a question, did God actually say, or did God really say? Kind of like there's a hint of disbelief that he would actually um, come forth with something like that. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. In other words, is there something God is not letting you do? That's the, that's the uh, implication. And she, that was certainly the inference that Eve gave, uh, gave to it. And if there is something that God is not letting you do, what kind of dominion um, is that that God gave you? You were made in the image and likeness of God, and you had been endowed with almost unlimited dominion on the earth. And so this question was a temptation which twisted reality just enough, just the right amount to cause doubt. Doubt about what? Doubt about the nature and the character of Father God Creator. Well then, of course, uh, Eve in Genesis 3, 2 and 3, she answers, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So, of course, after the question is posed by Satan to be a suggestion to Eve that God really isn't trustworthy, he comes out with a flat statement in Genesis 3, 4, and he makes a declaration, a statement that is contrary to what was earlier told to Eve by Father God. And he comes flat out and says, you will not surely die. And then the most interesting suggestion of all, he follows it up after he lies to her about she will not surely die. Quote, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And <laughs> this was an unusual approach because tempting them with the idea of becoming like God wouldn't really have any point. As Don Edel Bolson indicated, he says they were already like God. They were already like him. They were already made in his image. They were already made in his likeness. And so the statement, unfortunately, nudged Eve, pushed Eve just enough to question the validity of everything that God had earlier said. In what way were they not like God? See how the doubt starts to chew away at her. The answer was plain and obvious that once they stopped to think about it, they did not have, quote, the knowledge, or, or in other words, the freedom to decide, the freedom to discern 
for themselves what was good and what was evil. And so as uh, Don of Olson mentions, he says this moment in time was both earth-shattering and subtle. And what began to creep in to Eve's thinking was an element of confusion. Their purpose, Adam and Eve's purpose, as we studied earlier in earlier shows, was to represent God as to his nature, as to his character. But here Eve has the serpent suggesting that their dominion was actually limited. And the first evidence of that um, was the fact that the primary manifestation of being made in God's image was the exercise of dominion, yet God is saying um, dominion to decide for yourself what's good and what is evil is reserved to the Creator Father. And so what happened in the subtlety of it, if you will, of what comes about is confusion in her thinking, uh, Adam and Eve began to think of dominion as more important. Dominion itself was more important rather than their purpose, which was what to represent God, representation of God. And what happened was the suggestion was bringing to the surface confusion that if they forgot their original purpose, which was to represent God's nature and his character, through the tool, through the mechanism of dominion, they began to think of dominion as being more important in itself than their earlier purpose to represent, to be a representation, a representation of God. And they forgot that dominion was a tool, just a tool, for accomplishing their purpose of representation of Father Creator. It was a tool. And Satan knew that dominion was wired into their essence, and he began to pull on that string. So you can picture the, how this rolled out. Eve begins to look at the tree, and then um, she's looking at it a different way because of these suggestions from the enemy. And she starts to look at the fruit on the tree, and she's starting to look at the fruit in a different manner based on these suggestions from the enemy. And the scripture says it appeared to be good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. And it was desirable to make one wise. And of course the rationale can come, well, isn't being wise a part of being like God? So... I want to talk a little bit about something that God has given us um, with our creative nature. Uh, we are to show life through fruitfulness. We are to have dominion and that we are to rule and reign and steward the earth. But... 
when you start to study the way Eve looked at the fruit after receiving these suggestions, um, she was not looking at the tree and the fruit as she had probably looked at them before. And what was taking over based on diabolical suggestions against the nature and character of God, thereby creating a um, gap in the trust that there was to, that was to exist between God's children and, and the Father. Um, she began to use her imagination. And she began to imagine the fruit having certain qualities and access to the tree producing certain opportunities. And this was different than she probably had gone by that tree who knows how many times and never really thought about any of this earlier until the enemy showed up to be a competitive element, to be a competitive force interfering between the relationship of Adam and Eve and their creator father. So, as the serpent suggested that their dominion was actually limited, both Adam and Eve uh, assumed that the primary manifestation of being made in God's image was the exercise of dominion. In other words, they could decide for themselves what was right and what was wrong, what was to be in man's benefit, and what was to be uh, the source of harm. They, they could do that themselves. And so they began to think that dominion itself was more important than the pur- their purpose of representing God. They forgot that dominion was to be a byproduct of their purpose of representation, but it was also to be a tool to accomplish their purpose of representing God. Dominion was indeed hardwired into their essence. That's how God made us. He made us to rule, to steward, to have dominion, to subdue the earth, And as Eve continued to stare at the fruit, she's looking at it in a different way by using her imagination. Her imagination began to take over. And as her imagination began to take over, she pictured things that were reacting to the suggestions, to the ideas that were presented to her by the enemy that she was, if she would basically just um, eat the fruit, um, that she would become like God. The irony of this is that she already was in God's likeness. This is why it's called the great deception. Her uncontrolled imagination 
since she wasn't going to God about these suggestions, she didn't take these ideas to Father God and say, hey, I had this conversation with this serpent, and this is what he was saying. He was asking questions, and then he made these statements, which were the opposite of what you said, Father. She didn't do any of that. Her imagination went on a rampage. It was uncontrolled. But imaginations... Um, there's a lot of discussion imaginations with how powerful they are in human thought. And the scripture says we are to meditate on God's word day and night. That's what Joshua was, was told as they were entering into the land. He, was said, he said you need to meditate on God's word. And as you do this, as it does not leave your mind, as you meditate on it, you spend time with it, you chew on it, you digest it, you take it in. What Joshua was told was that things will go well for him as the new leader of Israel, as he went into the promised land, and his way would become prosperous. He would be successful. And so imagination um, is in many ways kind of a doorway into the supernatural when we start talking about how does faith work? How, does, how do miracles happen? How do we see the supernatural being brought down from, from the heavens? And when we say, as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that look like? How do we do what Jesus did? How do we imitate Christ and his miracles when he says, you're going to do even greater things than what you've seen with me? And so this whole thing about imagination, we're going to talk about this on the other side of the break. It's important that we understand something that God has given us, and it can be used either by the diabolical uh, source of power or through God's divinity. We will explore this more on the other side of the break. See you soon. God bless. Well, welcome back to the second half of Simple Truth Moments. Um, at the end of the last segment, we were talking about what was actually occurring between the conversation that the enemy, the adversary, was having through the serpent um, to Eve. Um, and we were left off with the exercise or the function of imagination. And we were talking about Eve probably saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, who knows how many times when, before she had that conversation. And uh, she probably even saw the fruit on that tree. Um, but something that the enemy very cleverly, uh, he being the, uh, the wily character that he is, the manipulator that he is, um, when he made these suggestions that somehow Father God was holding out on fully giving both Adam and Eve the kingdom. 
um, through that singular restriction, then he began to plant the seeds of doubt that Father God was really worthy of their trust. And actually, he was competing and uh, for them for dominion. And, and in essence, um, he may have been jealous of them. He may have been um, fearful of what they may become. And so all of these ideas, all of these suggestions are rolling around in Eve's mind. And she has no filter. She has no filter. Um, you know, we have... <laughs> In our spiritual battles, we have the the filter of the Holy Spirit, and we are commanded by Jesus to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. That's a lot of thoughts, about 30,000 thoughts a day, according to Caroline Leaf, the uh, neuroscientist from South Africa. Um, And unfortunately, as she stared at that uh, forbidden fruit, so to speak, her imagination took over, and... um, when you allow your imagination to see something that is suggested to you, um, the whole point of imagination is to bring about a decision to act. In other words, to what you have been imagining, to call things that are not as though they were. Jesus talked about this when he talked about how to pray. He said, you know, if you pray to the Father in my name and you ask him for something that you believe that you've already received, well, then it shall be given unto you. Well, that belief part that you've already received it, that's trust. That is faith. But that happened because of imagination. In other words, you pictured something that was true in the Word of God that said, for example, you you um, were going to have a healing, physical healing. Well, it's interesting in Isaiah, um, I think it's 53, talks about by his stripes we are healed. But when you, when you flip over to the New Covenant and you look in, in the book of Hebrews, it says by his stripes we are doesn't say we are healed it goes to the past tense even though you're in the new testament it says by his stripes we were healed in other words we're coming from a position of victory from the cross as opposed to going to the other side of the cross and asking for something that we may already have and so that's what Jesus was trying to explain. And, and as you imagine the truth of the Word of God about you, about situations in your life, and you begin to imagine that the truth of the Word of God is the final decider of what will roll out, your imagination can be used in a very positive way, in a divinely ordained way. Unfortunately, as we're studying this drama in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, the imagination of Eve was actually running amok, and um, it was turning into a rampage of being suspicious of God's motives as to why he would put a restriction 
on them as to access to this particular tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, we know how the story um, continued. They both uh, ate of the fruit. And when that occurred, um, actually, let's go back just to Eve. As she was continuing to stare at the fruit, her imagination took over. Her uncontrolled imagination actually caused her to do, to act, to decide to act on the suggestions that the enemy was presenting to her regarding you can't trust Father God for him to make the right decision for you, even though the decision would be a restriction here. So um, Eve then take the next uh, step, and she gave the fruit to Adam, and he also acted. So both of them had assumed for themselves the right to decide what was good for them and what was not. And interestingly enough, this was the only thing that God had kept for himself alone. Father God had reserved that right to decide what was good for man and what was harmful for man. He had reserved that right for the good of Adam and Eve so that they in turn would not create harm to themselves and to the world through their behavioral choices which would be out of alignment, which would be totally out of alignment with their design. What was their design? We'll go over it again. They were to represent the character and nature of Father God. And those representations were to use the tools, the tools of dominion and fruitfulness. So we know that they were made in the image of God. We saw that in the first two chapters of Genesis. But the blatant misuse of their dominion in this instance, in Genesis chapter 3, it rendered them no longer able to be the visible image of God to the world. Why not? Why not? Because when they decided to act on the suggestions of the evil one, that God was not worthy of trust. Well, they now represented someone else other than God. Don't forget, man's purpose was to represent the nature and character of God, to be in his uh, image and to show that the likeness deposited within us would be reflected out into the world. We were to be the visible image of God. And now, because of their misuse of their dominion that was earlier given to them, their purpose had become null and void. They weren't representing God anymore. They now represented themselves as, I'll call the term, independent contractors. From that moment, 
of buying the lie, taking the suggestion that God isn't trustworthy, from that moment, they would be God because they now represented themselves and they no longer had a purpose of representing God to the earth. So, when man makes his own self the focal point, the center, the springboard of his own life, and he's the only frame of reference for all kinds of decisions, including moral guidelines, then what you have is a created creature called man who has indeed become his own God. Why? Well, he's now going to make, instead of God, the purpose of his representation, it's all about him. It's all about his um, selfish nature now. He's inward-looking, inwardly focused, and he's going to trust himself to make life-and-death decisions all through the balance of his human existence. What we see is when mankind attempts to act autonomously, well, then he is indeed attempting to be godlike. We were to be the vice regents of the king. In other words, we were to rule and reign the earth with the king. But what happened here with this decision of rebellion against God, and don't forget, the spiritual rebellion invaded the earth. We mentioned that earlier, but... Take a look at Isaiah um, 14, starting at verse 12. Um, That rebellion began in the second heavens, and it preceded what this drama on earth took, when, when it took place and how it took place. This rebellion took place in the second heaven. So rebellion against God is not a human problem. It manifested through a human problem, but the problem itself is spiritual in nature. And when that rebellion against God took place in both Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to the end, and also take a look at Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel 28, verse 14 to the end, that explains to you the nature of God's problem that he has on his hands. The nature that God has on, on his the problem that he has on his hands the nature of the problem is, is spiritual rebellion. And it began with a spiritual creature in a spiritual place. And then only later came down to poison the earth with its toxic consequences. So as a result of Eve letting her imagination run rampant and no filters, no going to father and say, hey, just want to run this by you. What do you think? The king's vice regents, who were Adam and Eve here, no longer represented the king. Instead, his vice regents attempted to take the king's place, the place of the king. And in this drama, ultimately, the question that is posed in the garden 
is who will be king? Man or God? So, moving on to the next chapter, it's called Only Evil Continually. Um, It's obvious that man's fall was an absolute disaster. Um, Man stopped acting as the visible image of God, so he lost his purpose there. Man was no longer connected with the purpose, the very purpose for which he was, re- he was created in the first place. He was no longer connected with that purpose. For the first time, man feels shame. He feels fear. He feels disgrace. And he suffers separation, physical separation, from his creator, Father God. Now, you remember, we've explained in earlier shows, using John seventeen three as the uh, basis is what is eternal life. Eternal life, according to John seventeen three, is that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And no, we talked about it was not a mental head knowledge no, but it's a heart-connected relational no. And they were removed from God's presence. The garden was taken from them. They were not allowed to stay in the garden. They couldn't come back in. And what was the result? They had never felt shame before. They had never felt fear before. They had never been disgraced before. But what was left over, if you will, um, after the fall? And what I mean by left over was, um, did man still keep certain qualities that were given to him in the initial creation exercise man lost his purpose of his essence which was to be in God's image and in God's likeness but even though he lost his purpose man still felt his drive to exercise dominion and to be fruitful the problem is if you lose your purpose and you still retain these drives to exercise dominion and be fruitful, then then everything becomes twisted and warped. Everything. Without man's original purpose to represent God in his image and likeness, man began to define himself through the remaining qualities of dominion and fruitfulness by themselves or through dominion and fruitfulness alone. The direction of mankind was set. There was an infection, a spiritual infection of self-interest and self-justification, both of which replaced their purpose to represent God. And as a result, evil began to flourish everywhere on earth. 
continually, ongoing. Man's disposition to authority had fully changed direction. What would have been a service to the world, man's authority, his dominion, what would have been a service to the world, man acting as the bridge between heaven and earth would have been awesome, would have been tremendous. But it became self-justification instead of a ministry. It became the reason that man thought he was here, was to simply exercise dominion and fruitfulness without any connection to what his original purpose was. So when you warp dominion, when you twist dominion, ruling now becomes an obsession. Dominion becomes warped and twisted into domination. The domination of creation, exercising the fulfillment now as man who is king of the earth. God had created a rule of order and life. It was a theocracy. But that theocracy that God created, which showed itself through life, through order, and the consistency of that, that was all shattered. It was broken apart. And so, even though man detached himself from God through spiritual rebellion, in other words, Man's authority to have dominion over the earth was voluntarily handed over to Satan. Satan knew he couldn't get authority directly from God to rule and reign the earth. God would never give a fallen angel that sort of legal permission or authority to have dominion. But if Satan could convince creatures who did legally receive the authority to have dominion over the earth through fraud, through deceit, Satan could actually have man's cooperation and man's agreement to voluntarily hand over his earlier delegated authority to a rebellious fallen angel in his kingdom. So even though man detached himself from God through becoming part of the spiritual rebellion, which was now on earth, God never took back his delegation of dominion so, un, un, you know, man still remains in charge. The problem is we have to come back to that earlier question. Who will be king? And that question of who will be king is the question for us today. How 
do we run our lives? To whom do we dedicate our lives every moment that we wake up, every day? Do we say the Lord's Prayer to start our day? The Lord's Prayer is an excellent kingdom of God focus on how and who is going to rule the next 16 hours of your wake cycle, your awake cycle. And listen to the words. Jesus only taught us, by the way, one prayer, Matthew chapter 6. And it's interesting that if we take apart the segments of that prayer, you see how much kingdom of God is part and parcel. Kingdom being God's government over our personal lives. So we start off by saying, Our Father. Now notice when we say Our Father, that's Jesus on earth teaching us this singular prayer. He's on earth when he's teaching us this prayer. And he's saying to us, Our Father. Well, right there, fathers give us three things that other people in the families don't give us. Fathers give us our identity. Fathers give us provision. And fathers give us protection. Identity, provision, and protection. All three of those elements are in the one prayer that Jesus taught us. So he's saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now notice what he says next. He doesn't say, please send your kingdom. He doesn't ask. He's making a declaration. He's making a proclamation because this earth has been taken over by an invading spiritual government. John the Baptist announced the soon coming kingdom of God because of the Messiah's soon arrival. And Jesus, soon after, also preached the same message, repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were announcing the arrival of a new sheriff in town to take back the earth from this invading horde of fallen angels who never did agree with the first blueprint of Father God. And as such, it's your kingdom come, Father, That's a declaration. And your will be done. That is evidence. When we say your will be done, that is evidence that God's government has now invaded the earth. And it's going to take back that that which was stolen away from us. What was stolen? Our inheritance of the earth. We talked about that in last week's program. And I'll send you back. Look at Psalms 115, 16. The heavens are of God. They belong to God. But the earth belongs to the children of men. We are in a battle for our lives to take back our inheritance. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer in a kingdom sense, we are saying, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth, just as it is in heaven. Well, we'll continue with the second half 
of the Lord's Prayer next week. But understand that Jesus didn't come to take us to a place after we physically die. That's not why he came. First John 3, 8 says he came to do away with the works of the devil, to do away with the rebellion that has penetrated the inside of man. He's going to restore everything that the Father initially created in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Isn't that exciting? The Bible is a circle. It's a family reunion story, and we get back our inheritance. Until next week, we will pick it up from there. God bless you, San Diego Saints. Be very blessed and enjoy your simple truth moments with God. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.